our God, we are present before you now, like those gathered in Cornelius' house, to hear everything that you want us to hear. So open the ears of our hearts to hear your voice through your word tonight. And then please move in our hearts by your spirit to receive your word and motivate and inspire our hearts and our wills to put it into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've had the wonderful opportunity to experience many different cultures in my life so far. Many of you know that I grew up in the quiet, slow life of rural New South Wales. And then I moved as an 18-year-old to the, to the loud, fast-paced, bustling life of the city of Sydney. You also know that I, I married a quiet, reserved, gentle, Anglo-Indian woman brought so much change and dynamics to my life. I can remember taking Ness uh, to the country for the very first time to meet my parents. And, and as I don't know if Ness had been over the Blue Mountains many times before, but as soon as we got over into the Central West and the plains open up and, and Ness could see all of the cattle and the sheep uh, in the farms and soon enough the, the moo and the bar would sound out, not outside the car, but inside <laughs> the car. Together we have travelled much of our world. We've seen much of Asia, Europe, the Pacific Islands and America. And we both get excited to meet new people for the very first time. People from different places and, and different experiences and it's wonderful to hear their stories. But of course, if you haven't travelled much, that's okay because God in his wonderful grace and providence has brought many of the cultures and the people of the nations to us here in Western Sydney. Now, you might know that in Mount Druitt alone, 53% of the people that live here, more than half, were born overseas. And almost two-thirds of the residents of our local area speak a language other than English as their first language at home. We live in a privileged place where the nations have come to us and I think there are countless ways that we have been enriched by this growing multiculturalism amongst us. Least of all, the variety of tasty foods from all over the world that we get to experience today. And you should see what often the Chinese members of my Bible study group and the Persian members bring along to supper and to dinner each time. It is just a, a delicacy. But it's also true to say that crossing cultures can be challenging as well, even uh, for Christians. I'm aware that I still have my cultural prejudices and preferences. I don't understand why people drink instant coffee. I don't understand why anybody would barrack for another football team other than the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. I can't understand why anybody enjoys reading Latin or when you go to Bunnings you'd put the onion on the bread before the sausage. It doesn't make sense to me. I have my cultural blind spots and prejudices, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. But Jesus made it clear in the Bible, in Acts chapter 1, at the beginning of this book that we've been studying, that at least for Christians, the gospel must transcend our cultural prejudices and preferences. Because Jesus said to his followers, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, 
and to the ends of the earth. Last year, in our recharge season, we looked at Acts chapter 8, and we saw the beginning stages of this witness to the ends of the earth happening as the gospel went to a young African man, an Ethiopian eunuch, as Philip, one of the early followers of Jesus, shared the good news of Jesus with him. But the thing is, up until Acts chapter 10, not one of the original 12 apostles of the church had gone beyond Samaria to the ends of the earth. Philip wasn't an apostle. Philip was one of the seven other designated leaders in the church, but he wasn't an apostle. It's not until chapter 10 that one of the 12, Peter, begins to see things beyond Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and starts to see that Jesus is Lord of all the earth. And when he does see that, it's not because of his own initiative. God has to kick him in the proverbial to get him moving. But when he moves, he discovers something absolutely remarkable. And I hope you do tonight as well. The story begins in Acts chapter 10. In verse 1 to 8, we meet a man named Cornelius. And I'm calling Cornelius a searching soldier because that is indeed where he is at in life. We won't reread those eight verses again, but notice what the Bible says about Cornelius. We're told that he is a, a Roman soldier. So he's not a Jew, he is a, a Gentile. We're told that he is well respected, even amongst his Jewish friends and neighbours. We're told that he had a good reputation, that he was generous, that he would give sacrificially to support charity. And we think that he was probably attracted to Judaism in some way because we're told that he, he regularly prayed to God. But even though he was well respected in the community, even though his Jewish neighbours kind of liked him, his full participation in the worship of God would only ever be limited because of where he was born and the culture that he was brought up in. Because he wasn't a Jew by birth. He was a Gentile. And no religious Jew would ever invite Cornelius home for lunch after church, let alone have him over for dinner during the week. But Cornelius is searching for God. And thanks be to God that he fulfills his promises. Do you remember when Jesus was teaching? He, he said these words. He said, knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you shall find. Here is a soldier searching for God. And God is faithful to him. He has this vision of this angel. And this angel says to Cornelius to send some men to go south down to this town called Joppa on the coast where the apostle Peter just happens to be staying. And Cornelius is to tell his men to go and get Peter and bring him back because Peter has a message from God that Cornelius needs to hear. And so Cornelius sends his men in obedience to the voice of the angel. Now it's interesting at that point who is crossing the cultural boundaries? Who is going to the ends of the earth? Who is initiating this movement? Yes, it's God, but it's, it's also Cornelius, a Gentile. Peter has not initiated anything at this point. 
It should have been him going to Cornelius' house in the first place to share the love of God with him. But it's taken God through an angel to tell Cornelius to do something so that Peter might come. Now, it's astonishing, but I think it's also a reminder of God's grace as well because I'm a slow learner too, and I think you are too at times. And when we fail to step out and do what we need to do, God in his grace will often step in and get things going where they need to be going. So he's seen a searching soldier. And then in verse 9 to 23, we meet Peter. And I'm calling Peter a perplexed apostle because literally in verse 17, he says that he was perplexed. We're told in verse 9 to 23 that Jesus gives Peter a vision, a vision of the heavens being opened and this sheet coming down out of heaven or a a sail maybe on a sailboat coming down out of heaven containing all these pictures of four-footed animals and reptiles and birds unclean animals for Jewish people to eat but Jesus tells Peter in this vision Peter get up eat and Peter responds no surely not Lord And so Jesus repeats the instruction, not once or twice, but three times, which is so Jesus and Peter, isn't it? You might recall Peter earlier in the Gospels denied even knowing Jesus three times. And after his resurrection, Jesus gently and graciously restores Peter three times. But here is Peter again, an apostle now, still imperfect, still growing in his knowledge of the way the world is denying Jesus three times and Jesus challenging him three times because Jesus wants Peter to see his religious and cultural blind spots his prejudices in the past yes according to Judaism there were these foods and animals that you could not eat they were unclean but Jesus wants Peter to know that Jesus has made everything now clean in his perfect life in his death on the cross and his mighty resurrection from the dead jesus said that he has fulfilled all the old testament law including those food laws he has transformed them in his kingdom such that now everything finds its fulfillment in him the food laws were all about holiness and being different to the nations jesus says come to me that is where your life is transformed where you receive the holy spirit where you are transformed all these foods are now clean which has implications not just to peter on what he can now go shopping for he could eat prawns and ham if he wants to but more than that it's to change peter's thinking about the people he ought to hang out with jesus is pushing peter to include the once excluded why because jesus does because jesus does And the timing of things couldn't be any more perfect because in verse 17, the Gentile men that Cornelius had sent down to Peter's house to find Peter suddenly turn up just as Peter's vision of this sheet has concluded. You can see Jesus is orchestrating this entire encounter. And just before Peter meets these Gentile men, the Spirit of God audibly speaks to Peter again repeats the same command get up go with these men with no doubts it's a nice little phrase to have for peter no doubts because i have sent them and this time peter doesn't need to be told three times 
he gets up and he goes with these men back to Cornelius's house. And then in verse 24 to verse 48, Peter enters into Cornelius's house and there has this conversation with Cornelius and there Peter will learn a significant truth, that the kingdom trumps culture. The kingdom of God trumps any culture of man. Although as Peter enters Cornelius's house, his opening line to his new friends, his new host in verse 28, probably didn't endear him to them because he says the first thing, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to be associated with or visit a foreigner, to which I imagine Cornelius's eyes rolling the back of his head saying, yeah, gee, thanks, Peter, welcome to my home. But Peter is clearly making some progress in his understanding of the kingdom of God because he immediately follows that line by saying this in verse 28, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Now it's interesting Peter says that. You can see that he's growing in his understanding because the vision of the sheet that he had didn't have pictures of people on it, men or women. It was pictures of four-footed animals and reptiles, food that was unclean. But Peter has interpreted that, that God means something beyond just the food that you eat, but the people you hang out with. And Peter is saying, uh, God has shown me that I should not call any person impure or unclean. He's starting to see that the kingdom of God trumps human culture. But his vision of the kingdom of God is still being fleshed out because the very next thing he asks in verse 29 shows that he still hasn't quite got the full picture because he asks Cornelius, why did you send for me? Peter ought to know why he was there because he has the Acts 1-8 mission call of Jesus to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth and tell people about the love of God in Jesus. And here he is, not quite at the ends of the earth, but beyond the land of Israel. He ought to know why he's there, that there's someone searching for God and Peter needs to share the message of God with him. But Peter says, why am I here? And so Cornelius has to tell Peter, well, you're here because... An angel told me that I needed to send some people to go get you and that you've got a really important message from God that you need to share with us. And I've been praying to God and searching for God and I've been waiting for you. And it's only at that point the penny drops for Peter and he realizes God's purpose in this whole encounter. Verse 34, Peter says, Now I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism. And in verse 36, he declares, Jesus really is Lord of all. Not just all the Jews. Not just those who kind of semi-associated with Judaism, those in Samaria. But Jesus is Lord of the ends of the earth. And Peter finally learns that. The kingdom of God has to trump any culture of man. All people no matter what language they speak, no matter what colour of their skin, no matter what experiences they've had, whatever culture they adhere to, they are welcomed by Jesus. And so Peter then preaches a mini-sermon to those that are gathered in Cornelius' house. 
And you can see that Cornelius is so excited to learn this important message from God because not only is his family there, but his neighbours are there, his friends are there. There's a whole group of people in this house who no doubt maybe God has been working in as well to bring them to this significant point in their life. And Peter preaches a three-point sermon. He preaches about the perfect life of Jesus in verse 37 and 38. He preaches about the death and resurrection of Jesus in verse 39 to 41. And then he preaches that the forgiveness of sins is now available to anyone and everyone who would believe in Jesus. Now, it's important to note at this point that as you read about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, over and over again, Cornelius is described as a good man, a righteous man, a well-respected man in his community who gives to charity but none of that automatically qualified him for heaven. None of that automatically qualified him to be a member of the kingdom of God. If Cornelius could get to heaven just simply because of his reputation or his good deeds, his charitable donations, then there would be no need for Jesus to orchestrate this entire crazy encounter between him and his family and the apostle Peter. No matter how good he was, Cornelius didn't have the one thing that would guarantee him a place in heaven and that was hearing of the peace and forgiveness that only Jesus can bring. And friends, that's still really important for you and I to remember today. It doesn't matter how morally good you are or you think you are. It doesn't matter how well known your reputation is in the community, how much you give to charity or to our recharge vision, which you're welcome to do. But none of that will automatically qualify you into the kingdom of God. Only Jesus can do that. And when you think about the members of our community that the Lord has brought to us from all over the globe, it doesn't matter how good their lives are, it doesn't matter how nice people they are, what reputation they have, how much they give to charity or to love their neighbours. Unless they hear the good news of Jesus the peace and forgiveness that only he can bring, they are not members of the kingdom of God. We need to hear that tonight as well. So Peter shares the good news of the kingdom. But before he even gets to the what some preachers call the, the altar call at the end of the sermon, where you call people to, to turn away from their old life and to trust in Jesus, before Peter even gets to that point, we're told that the Holy Spirit came down upon all those gathered in the house. Fathers, mothers, children, everybody in that house. Before any of them were baptised or circumcised or whatever it might be, Jesus claimed this whole house as his own. And then these new believers, these fathers, these mothers, these children, were all baptised and Peter stays with them for a few days. No doubt, sharing food with them, but more importantly, sharing fellowship with them. We're not told what was on the menu, whether there was chicken feet or Indian curry or a sausage sandwich from Caesarea and Bunnings. We don't know, but we do know it was clean because Jesus has already declared it clean because Jesus has declared even people who were once unclean can be clean when they come to him. It's a beautiful story, Acts chapter 10, a pivotal point 
in the mission of the church of God. An apostle, a senior leader, finally seeing that the gospel is for all people, no matter where they're born, no matter what culture they have come from. The kingdom of God trumps human culture. Now, one of the joys of living in Western Sydney, and I'm sure you appreciate this, is the stress-free, smooth ride of driving along the M4 motorway. Now, you smile, you giggle, you laugh, because you know that is, at times, anything from the truth. Driving on the motorway is a risky business. There are cars, trucks, buses, motorcycles, caravans, all sharing the same black road top. And not everybody drives in the same way, do they? There are some who are in an absolute rush to get wherever they're going and fly down the motorway, ignoring the speed limit. But then there are others who just take their merry old time and sit in the right-hand overtaking lane 50 kilometres below the speed limit. And you're like, get out of the way. I'm the one in a hurry. I need to get where I am going. There are some that know how to use indicators and their mirrors, which is always nice. And then there are others who I believe don't even know where the indicator switch is in their car and feel like they own the whole motorway and just can go in whatever lane they want and fist out the window and they're, they're the ones in control. My most scary moment driving along the M4 each and every time is going down the ramp from Walgrove Road to merge onto the M4. Because you know as you go down the ramp that the lane is going to end and you need to merge into the oncoming traffic. But my heart starts to palpitate a little bit as you see truck and bus and motorbikes and cars flying past, oblivious to the fact that you're trying to get in. But you see your lane is about to end and you know you need to merge and you're like, I should have stayed on the Great Western Highway. <laughs> Although at times that's no better, is it? And the more I reflect on Acts chapter 10 and our multicultural context here in Western Sydney, the more I realise how changing cultural lanes can be terrifying and difficult as well. As I said at the beginning of this message, I'm so like Peter. I'm often blind to my own cultural prejudices, particularly when it comes to people even and relationships. I find it much easier to stay in my lane. My young, white, Anglo, middle-class lane. I like that lane. It's comfortable. But I know I can't stay in that lane because there are so many other people that live in Western Sydney who are from different lanes, different languages, different cultures, different backgrounds. And, and I, I want to merge, I want to engage with them. But it's terrifying and it's scary and it's hard. But I don't think I'm alone either. And so I wonder, I want you to imagine with me that heaven opens tonight and a big white sail or sheet comes down. What would be on that sheet that is going to highlight your cultural and religious prejudices that Jesus would want you to put away? What would it be for you? For Peter, it was four-footed animals and reptiles, food that represented people that he would have thought were unclean and would never want to talk to. What would be on that sheet for you, for us as a church tonight? What would it be? 
maybe an Islamic hijab, maybe a Mardi Gras float, maybe a Harley Davidson motorbike, maybe a Chinese dragon, all symbols that may have pointed to groups of people that you thought you would never want to be associated with. And I believe Jesus is going to say to you and to me what he said to Peter. Get up. Get up. Don't call unclean what I have made clean. Friends, I think it's time that we notice what our cultural blind spots are what is going to be on our sheets. Listen to Jesus and let's take time now to step out rather than stay in our comfortable lanes. Why? Because the kingdom of God trumps any human culture. And so during this recharge season, I want to encourage you to reflect again on where you might need to change lanes and, and cross cultures and reach out with the good news of Jesus. Because I believe, like with Cornelius, there are many people in our community who are searching for God from all sorts of walks of life and all different cultural backgrounds. Soldiers, students, gay, straight, old, young, Anglo, Chinese, Muslim, Buddhist, atheist, good, bad. There are people that I believe God is working in that are searching for something, that are dissatisfied with where their life is at, and they are waiting for us to put aside our prejudices where we wouldn't ever associate with those people and talk to them, value them as people, and more than that, reach out with the good news that Jesus is Lord of all, that if they turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus, they can have a transformed life and know eternal life as well. And I say that, and I know how crazy it sounds to do that, how intimidating that idea is. But I'm also reminded of God's goodness in Acts chapter 10, and when Peter couldn't step out, what did God do? God stepped in and brought people to Peter. Now, I don't know why God has brought the nations of the world to us, whether it's because he knows that young, white, Anglo men and women prefer their own comfortable lanes and we're lazy, apathetic. I, I don't know whether that's true or not, but God in his goodness has brought people to us. And so we don't need to cross oceans to meet people from different cultures with the good news of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you can just cross the street. You can just cross the cubicle in your workplace. You can just cross to the other side of the playground in the park where the woman wearing a hijab is playing with her daughter. And you can get to know them and hopefully share the good news of Jesus with them. But even if that sounds too crazy for you to do, then let me encourage you to start with just something small tonight which I think is probably a little bit easier. And that is start with the people of our church. People who already identify as citizens of the kingdom of God, whom the gospel has brought together. Maybe over these next two weeks of the recharge season of November, make it your own personal mission to have lunch or dinner with somebody, 
maybe from this congregation or one of our other three congregations that you haven't had a chance to really get to know this year. Maybe they're new to our church this year or relatively new over the last couple of years. Make it your personal mission to have a meal with them. I can't guarantee that you'll enjoy the meal, whether you like chicken feet or curry and rice or bangers and mash, but I can tell you the food will be clean because Jesus has declared it so because the people that he has brought together under this roof know the peace of Jesus. And what I can encourage you with is whether you like the food or not, your fellowship with your brother or sister will be enhanced and it might just inspire you to go, maybe I can cross the street. Maybe I can go to the next cubicle at work. Maybe I can go to that Muslim lady on the other side of the playground 